0: Come on the next here. Like. The- okay? okay. Yes. <laughs> wow. I'm <laughs> the <laughs> 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 here we straight into the elevator. Yeah. I don't know what well, else to do the thing is the only outs I have on this are XLR I can't send it out through one of the through one of the channels okay somewhere
1: I have what I know I need I should find it okay uh, we gotta do
2: So what you can do is you better be yeah, I know. I'll be I'll be just kill it off. I'll just kill it off every time we go to Texas. I'm going to see if yeah. I'm going to put it down I'm going to go for that.
0: Weston's looking for the thing. He's got it, but he doesn't get it. He's gotta keep making loud because people need them out here. While he's looking for it. I know that it all comes through I'm just wondering what your volume is
3: like
0: um, um. Amen.
1: Speaker, that, that's pretty good. Um, a few things to note. Remember, we have our Lakeside 101 beginning this next Sunday at 5 o'clock in the Fellowship Center. Now, this is for people um, that are interested in joining, or just interested to know more about us. It goes for four weeks, for one hour, from 5 to 6, um, in the Fellowship Center. Um, and you lot you should have, uh, your visitors, guests, and, and, and uh, been around for a while, you probably should and been visiting for a while, you probably received something in the mail. I, I do want to encourage you, uh, because of the way things have changed, um, these last months, we don't have all the opportunities to get your information. So, over on this table here, you'll see some cards. If you're a visitor, guest, and we don't have your information, for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, we're going like, to send the God Squad or anything after you, but we'll put you on our list of things to receive. And one of them has been, suppose we change this meeting tomorrow. Uh, you know, as of uh, like 24 hours ago. This time yesterday, it was going to look like it's going to rain. Uh, we didn't expect it. We send it out on um, a text message, on the email, we put it on the website. Um, so anyway, but that kind of information, if you want us to have that information, please just fill one of these out. You can put it in, uh, you can leave it there on the table or put it in the offering box right there. That's uh, uh, the pastor standing right next to you to make sure you fill it up this week. Um, but uh, go ahead and put that in there. And also over there, if you don't have one yet, um, we, we're going to have these, uh, because we can't really put the music so you can see it um, on the wall or anything thing like that, these little bulletins. And uh, in it is the songs we're singing today, it's also the scriptures. If you don't have one, if you raise your hand, one of the deacons will bring you one. Now, I think most of you do. There's a few guys out there, um, if, y'all wanna, uh, maybe if you all want to maybe to go ahead and grab some of those and bring that to them. Um, so I think that is all the things. Remember when you get up, just be very careful. We do have lots of cords and things running across the ground here. Uh, most of it's pretty evident, but uh, it is good to have you here. And let's prepare ourselves. For worship.
4: There's a peace I've come to know, though my heart and flesh may fail, there's an anchor for my soul. I can say it is well, Jesus has overcome. (laughs) we <laughs>
3: That's what's going we're not used, used to using bulletins, bulletins lately, but if you uh, have a bulletin, if you pick one, one up, another that there, there were deacons who were distributing them. them, you, you will have, have the words to songs. We don't have any way, way of projecting songs out here, here we that we found to be very effective. effective. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe today, today we could have, have, but there's no sunlight. Generally, it's been very difficult. So we put all the words to songs in here, and if you would like to sing along, we encourage you to do so for the first time in a long time. We're outside. There's a little bit of a breeze, so we're optimistic about that. Also, we believe that preaching should be done from the Word of God, and we usually, when we preach, we reference a lot of Scripture, and we have screens to put that Scripture on. We do not have that today, so, have so you have the Scriptures to be used in the sermon, uh, also in your bulletin, uh, places to make notes. Uh, I think you've got almost every Scripture that will appear in the sermons today. Those of you who are sitting out in the cars, cars. I know that I know it, it, we, have we have not gotten, gotten, gotten that transmitter working yet. yet. What, what we're going to do, do is, as we come to the sermon part of the day, we're going to turn this speaker that way, so that, way, so that you, you will be able to hear, hear better, better uh, the part of the, the sermon when we get there. Uh, once once again, again, I want to welcome, welcome you all to worship, worship today. today. Uh, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. The gospel proclaimed. Uh, uh, welcome to Lakeside. We are a gospel-driven, gospel-driven mission-centered, mission-centered family of believers, believers. and, uh, and uh, I want to call you to worship. Here's our tradition. We normally come together to worship by proclaiming what we believe, and one of the oldest, uh, confessions of of the the church. church. It's It's the Apostles' Apostles Creed. Creed. So I want to invite those who are able to stand now, and it's a little bit harder getting out of that that lawn chair than it is getting out of a pew. I don't know. It just seems really hard. We're going to ask you to stand twice in the service today. We're going to ask you to stand once to confess what you believe. We're going to ask you to stand again later on in the sermon when we read the scriptures, and that's it. So twice you'll have to get up. Other than that, we can be comfortable. We begin uh, the Creed by asking this question. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we begin our time of worship together, and I guess we will sing. Praise God.
2: everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so dear. Leaning on the everlasting arms.
1: great Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus, um, sort of exhorting the people of God as to um, what the kingdom looks like. How does faith in Christ translate to faithfulness in Christ? And he writes, or says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Almighty God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, we marvel at the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments and unfathomable your ways. It is in your gracious counsels that you turn all things on their heads, confounding the assumptions and the expectations of this world. That no man will ever boast before you. We rejoice that your divine favor. Our perfect blessedness is found in the life of your kingdom. To the poor in spirit. The meek. The pure of heart. Those who mourn. Those who love mercy. Seek righteousness. Strive for peace. Those who consider the reproach of Christ greater than the approval of this age. These will see God. Attain to a righteousness greater than the Pharisees, and inherit the kingdom of heaven. Merciful Father, renew our minds. Through the gospel, let us know the righteousness of God found apart from the law, found in Jesus Christ alone. Let us know the mind of Christ, thinking your thoughts as Christ crucified in all things. Help us to embrace your precepts, revive us by your word, rejoicing in its rich promises, humbled in its searching rebukes, comforted in its healing encouragements. In short, let us know Jesus. Be this day just and the justifier of your people, we who cling to your Holy Son every day and for all eternity. Father, now receive our gifts, sanctified in obedience to your great gospel. Let our tithes and offerings be a mark of love for your mission Of mercy to the world. We ask this and all things in the name of Jesus, He who instructed us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
2: Our only confidence that a soul. children's ages three through kindergarten would meet with Miss Amy over here on the parking lot. Thank you.
3: Good morning again. We got a good day. It's not hot. It's not raining. It is muggy. We will survive, even if our uh, programs get a little sticky. I want to invite you once again to look at the insert in your program, which has the scriptures for today in it. Uh, We will use the scriptures today as the basis for what we teach and what we learn. Um, If you look at your first scripture there, it's James 4.15. And Scripture begins to describe our life as but a vapor. This is what it says, uh, James 4.15, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then it, it vanishes. And, and I think we've all, um, I, I don't know about you, some, some hunters, maybe some campers in the room, maybe some football fans, and you go outside and it's cold. And when you exhale and it's cold, you have that vapor that you can see just for a minute when it leaves your mouth, and and it just almost instantaneously disappears. And that is what uh, Scripture is talking about. It's comparing the length of our life to the length of the time that you can see that vapor as it comes out. It's very short. And depending on how old you are, you might be feeling that this morning. You might be feeling that, that life is really short. Sometimes younger people have a more difficult time comprehending how fast life truly passes us by, while older people are all too acquainted that life comes and goes, and it's just but a vapor. Now, depending on what you believe about death, this might be a really discouraging idea, even morbid. If if your concept of death is is that when you die, consciousness ceases, and your existence is over, well, then I'm sure the brevity of life would be a troubling thought. Or if you think... uh, Maybe that you might have lived your life in rebellion to God and and sin. Well, then you worry about what happens after death. Maybe you're worried about the torments or the fires of hell. Well, I would guess that this would be for you troubling to think that life is short. In 2010, it's been about about 10 years ago, uh, there was a poll that came from the news organization 60 Minutes, and they were trying to find out what people thought about life after death. They found that 65%, and I, I, I'm almost certain that if we did this poll today, that these numbers would be a lot different and that the amount of people who believed in heaven and hell would be less. But, but 10 years ago, 65% of Americans believed that after death, people either went to heaven or they went to hell. Uh, however, 7%, and this is great, 7% believe that they go to another dimension. 6% of Americans believe that they were reborn on earth. believe that they become ghosts, and 13% believe that there is not any afterlife at all, and they just cease to exist. I guess my question for everyone in worship this morning is, what do you believe happens after you die? That's kind of the question for you. What do you think about life after death? Do you think spirits can run loose like ghosts? Do you think there's any chance in reincarnation? I want to walk through a biblical view of life after death, and I want to suggest to you that many people who actually identify as Christians have a non-biblical view of life after death, or maybe just a, a partially biblical view of life after death. And the reason is that they misunderstand something that theologians would call the intermediate state. Now, I know that that's a big word. Most of you are looking at me and going, man, Tyson, what are you doing to us here? And I promise to explain it, and I promise it's simple. But you've got to give me a few minutes, and then we're going to discover this simple concept. So let's talk about life after death. There's a great theologian named John Calvin. You've probably heard of him. We talk about him some here. Uh, and he had this quote. Ready? Here's the quote. Consider it settled. No one who's made progress in the school of Christ... Does not joyfully await the day of death and final resurrection. So, according to Calvin, if you're a mature Christian who's made progress in Christ, you actually joyfully await the day of your death. How about you? Do you joyfully await the day of your death? Honestly, um, I don't. I, I haven't figured out how to fall into that category quite yet. I mean, I trust in Jesus. I, I, I think I'm getting closer as I'm getting older to, to, to joyfully wanting the day of my death. Uh, I'm, I can tell you that I'm going to be really excited about seeing Christ on the other side of death. It's just the whole dying thing and, and the unknown stuff, it, it's kind of scary. And the way Calvin talks about it, it almost sounds like death is, is a good thing. He's so excited about what, what comes next. But the truth is that, that, uh, that neither Calvin nor Scripture would agree that death is a good thing. Death is not a good thing at all. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, it's right there on your sheet, Paul describes God's relationship with death. Here's what Paul says. It says here, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Isn't that interesting? That Scripture actually calls death the enemy of God, and and it tells us that that a day will come when death will be destroyed. And I don't know about you, but I long for that day. I'm ready to see death destroyed. I've lost too many people who I'm separated from now because of death, And, and chances are you have too. Death has long been the ally of Satan, and when we read the book of Revelation... We see God defeating all of his enemies. Um, God defeats the beast at the end of the book of Revelation. He, de- he defeats the dragon, the false witness, and all of his enemies. And then in Revelation 21, after defeating all of his enemies, there is, there is a new heaven and a new earth. And as, if you remember your scripture, the old heaven and the old earth have passed away. Uh, and in this new heaven and earth, the Bible says that the dwelling place of God is with man. And so in the new heaven and earth, they're there together together. It says God himself will be with his people as their God in the new heaven and the new earth. And what's more, just, just like uh, like Paul wrote about Revelation 21.4 says that in the new heaven and in the new earth, and it's right there on your, your sheet, 21.4, uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And, and this, is, this begins to be this picture of the new home for all of God's people. This is, this is what the people of God are destined for, to live with your God for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. So now we know, we get, a, we get an image of, of what happens at the end of scriptures, but we kind of have to start working our way backwards to figure out how we get there. How do believers end up in the new heaven and the new earth? How do you get there if it's at the end of time? What if you die first? I'd say chances are pretty good that that's exactly what's going to happen. I, I hope it's not. I hope that tomorrow Jesus comes and, and, and he returns. and it, That would be, that'd be great, but as of now, that's, that's never happened. I think the chances are pretty good that you are going to die before his return. What then? How do believers end up in this new heaven and this new earth? Well, we have to talk about the concept of the resurrection of the dead. And this is very much a biblical concept. Uh, in fact, we confessed it earlier when we said the Apostles' Creed. We said, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And that line is not talking about Christ's resurrection on Easter. It's talking about the resurrection of all people at the end of days when Christ's church will inherit eternal life. Here's how the Apostle John is going to describe that resurrection. And, and we've got it there on your sheet as well, John five twenty eight. Through 29, and it says this An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they'll come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So the logic here is basically that everyone who has ever died will be resurrected on that day, not just believers, but everyone will be resurrected. Believer and unbeliever, you're both getting resurrected. And one of two things will happen to you in the resurrection. Either you will be resurrected to eternal life, to live eternally with God in the new heaven and the new earth, or you will experience what John calls the resurrection of judgment. Uh, I don't have all the information on that because it's not all there in Scripture, but I'm going to say it's not good and it involves judgment and punishment. Here is the way Paul describes the uh, the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, Paul says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. And when they're raised, imperishable. And we shall be changed. So when we are resurrected, at the return of Jesus, the final trumpet will sound, and we will arise with a new body, there's a new body there, and it's one that's been transformed, and it's a heavenly body, and that body is no longer perishable. Now, I received a phone call last night that one of our dear friends, who's in her 90s, had taken a fall, and she was headed to the hospital, and she was in great pain. And the older you get on this earth, the more your body fails, and the more we long for God's promises in eternity and for that body that is imperishable. This is really important. God's final plan for his people is not to be a spirit. Do you understand this? God's final plan for his people is not to be a spirit that is disembodied, but rather to have a physical body. And it's a heavenly physical body. And and when we have been given this new heavenly physical body, Scripture calls it imperishable. It can't perish. It's a kind of body that won't break down. It won't get injured. It won't age at all. Our immortality... And our eternal life is not simply to be spiritual, but also physical. This is what John says. This is what the Apostle Paul says. This is what the Word of God says, that our eternal life is physical with a heavenly, immortal body in the new heaven and the new earth with our God. So here's the question of the day. All this has been leading up to kind of this question of the day. What happens in between when you die... And when that, that final trumpet sounds and you are resurrected, I mean, it could be centuries, it could be millennia. What happens in that time? The time between death, whenever you die, throughout history, and the final resurrection is what theologians will call the intermediate state. See, I told you I would get back to that word and I would try to explain. It's that time of whatever happens to your soul in between when you die and the resurrection at the end of times. Um, And a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what happens in this intermediate state. And what I want to do today is to look at three ways people understand the doctrine of the intermediate state. And in order to do this, I want to read Scripture with you. And we're going to be reading together from Philippians 1, 19 through 26. And if you are able, I want to invite you to stand now in reverence to the Word of God read. It's the last time I'll make you stand up. Promise. It's important to our church to do this. It's it's a way of showing reverence to the Word of God. If you'd like to follow along, our scripture reading of the day is on the back here. Uh, Before we read together, let's pray. Father, we come to your Word, humbling our hearts before it, seeking to be changed by it to find truth from it. May your Spirit quicken our hearts so that we can rightly hear the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 19 of the first chapter of Philippians. Paul speaking, he says, This, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with courage, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, So that in me you may have ample cause uh, to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again. Church, the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So what happens to Christians after they die? We can take some, uh, some base level hints from Paul especially as he writes to this church in Philippi, when Paul is writing those very words we just read, he's writing from prison. Maybe he's going to be killed. Maybe not. Paul doesn't seem to know what awaits. He writes to the church in Philippi and he says, I don't know exactly how all this is going to turn out. I I do know that through your prayers and, and with the help of the Spirit, I expect that I will not be ashamed and that I will have the courage for whatever God has for me. This is what Paul has, whether it be life or whether it be death. And then Paul says that famous verse that we all have and we put on coffee mugs. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's attitude is that if Christ wants him to stay and to be his hands and feet on the earth, so be it. It would be good for a lot of people. But if God's will was for Paul to die, well then, Paul says, that would be gain. For, for Paul, they both have their advantages. On the one hand, Paul would love to stay and work uh, for Christ, but if it was up to him, Paul really wants to die. That kind of reminds me of, of what Calvin was saying earlier, where he talks about, you know, those who have been in the school of Christ will look forward with joy to the day of their death. I think that's where Paul is in, in reading this. He, he kind of goes, I, I really want to be this way. And, and, and really, if we want to understand why Paul feels this way, we learn it in verse 23. This is what he says. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. This is the baseline for what any believers think about the intermediate state. If we can say nothing else about what happens after death, we can learn from Paul that when we depart the body, when we're absent from the body, we are present with Christ. If we know nothing else about our loved ones who've passed, is it not enough to know that they are with Christ? In the time after your death and before the resurrection, make no mistake, believers are with Christ. Uh, I've often shared the story. I I think many of you may remember this uh, story that I've shared before, but I was was working at a church. Uh, I was an associate pastor. I was really green. The senior pastor was out of town, and I got a phone call from one of our church members that their grandchild had just died in the crib. And, uh, and they were about a mile away from the church, and they needed a pastor there as soon as possible. And so I, I ran, like all the secretaries come to me like, you got to go fix this. And I go, there's, there's no way to fix this. I go, just go. And so we went, and I'm sitting with this mother. And I walk into the room, and there's an empty place on the couch. And they go, good, he's finally here. And this mother is holding the body of her dead infant who died in the crib. And she looks at me, and she begins to start asking me questions. Is, is, is she alone? Is she lost? And the only thing that I could say that was of any comfort in that moment is she is with Christ. We can say a few more things about the intermediate state. You remember when Christ spoke to the thief on the cross? He adds two details that are important. He gives us a time frame and a hint as to a location. Location. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The time frame is today, the same day as your death. And the location where we can expect to dwell with Christ is in paradise. The word we use to describe this paradise, where we will dwell with Christ in the intermediate state is heaven. And it's important to know that while we are in heaven, and this is really interesting We are disembodied. You don't take your body with you to heaven. We have no body. Our spirit is with Christ, and this is our intermediate state. No body. Our spirit is with Christ. As Paul says, absent from the body, present with Christ until the day of the resurrection. However, I think you know this, heaven is the intermediate state for believers, believers. Only for those who've been covered by the blood of the lamb, who by grace, through faith, believed in Jesus, non-believers are going to find themselves in another intermediate state. They will find themselves apart from the body and apart from Christ. Much less is said in Scripture about the intermediate state for non-believers. First Peter calls this place a prison interesting view of it. Luke 16, Jesus is talking about it. He says it's a place of anguish and flames. So we begin to get this view of hell or what we call hell as a prison, anguish, flames. It's the intermediate state for non-believers. And as we read earlier, these people who will also who go who are in hell will also experience a bodily resurrection one day. And for them, it will not be a resurrection to eternal life in Jesus, but rather a resurrection to judgment and assumed punishment. This sermon uh, series is called Misunderstood Doctrine. And what I want to do is talk about three ways people misunderstand the intermediate state. Uh, I want to be real clear. what, what We're going we're to talk a lot about what we've, we've discussed so far in scriptures, and we're going to uh, use that to infer three mistakes people make. Uh, The first historic misunderstanding of the intermediate state is this. I don't know if you've ever heard this misunderstood doctrine, but there are some people who believe in the concept of soul sleep. You ever heard that before? At different times in history, different groups of people have suggested that uh, upon death, your soul enters a state of sleep and it stays there until the resurrection. I've even met some people who believe this. I had a childhood friend and he ended up dying in his 20s. And I can remember that our parents were talking one time, and this this guy's mother expressed that she believed that her son's soul was sleeping until the day of the resurrection when he would be awoken by Jesus. And I remember thinking that that was really sad for that mother to believe this. It's basically a denial of the intermediate state, and it uh, it puts our glory off until the return of Jesus. Uh, what I think we have seen in our previous readings today is, is that... Uh, Jesus is saying, today you'll be with me in paradise, and I think Paul is saying to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Therefore, I think it's a mistake to believe that in death, the soul is simply sleeping. In death, what happens is you immediately go to one of two places, either heaven or hell, and the only determining factor is a saving faith in Jesus. The second way that people misunderstand the intermediate uh, state, and I think it's safe to say that this is probably the most common misconception of the intermediate state, is this. Uh, It's this misconception that Christians have by thinking that heaven is their final resting place. Think about evangelical theology. I think that most people think you die and you go to heaven and that's where you are forever as a spirit. Usually... People who believe this have no understanding of the resurrection of all people at the final trumpet. Make no mistake, our final resting place is the new heaven and the new earth where we will dwell with the Lord with imperishable bodies. The third way that people misunderstand the doctrine of the intermediate state is they believe the intermediate state is a time for people to be purged of sin. The clearest example of this purgatory. This kind of Roman Catholic idea of purgatory, uh, the idea of purgatory in the Catholic Church is this idea that if you die and you are in the and this is I put this in quotes because I took it off uh, kind of some Catholic sites, but they say in the grace and friendship of God, if you die in that state of grace and friendship with God, and you still have imperfections or sins, you must spend a certain amount of time in purgatory to be cleansed of those sins and become righteous. Now, now that could take thousands of years or even millions of years before you're good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Catholic Church doesn't say a lot to describe purgatory. I did some research, and when they have, they seem to describe um, some kind of cleansing fire and a a painful longing to be with God. It's not a pleasant place to spend a few thousand years. Uh, I think that's kind of the idea. Let me tell you why Protestants don't believe in purgatory. First, purgatory is not mentioned in the Bible. Not one time. It's not even hinted at. It doesn't appear in thought or logic or anything like that. Um, The idea of purgatory itself runs contrary to the gospel message. What the Bible describes instead is justification. Justification is the work of God to declare His people righteous. So that Whomsoever believes in Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, We understand this is logic that you should be familiar with, that when God does His justifying work in you, it's to, it's to declare you righteous and to give to you the righteousness of Christ. Based on the work and the person of Jesus and the gift of the grace of, of faith, the Christian is clothed with the righteousness of Christ and declared righteous. Here's what Ephesians 1.7 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So, so in other words, the way that we get into heaven isn't through purgatory. The righteousness that allows us to enter heaven and to be with Christ after death is not made in the fires of purgatory. It was crucified on the hills of Calvary. Christ's blood washes away all of our sins. And what we see over and over again in the Bible is that not only is purgatory not mentioned, it's not needed. Its purpose would be redundant. Why would God punish us for the sake of purity if Jesus had already shed his blood for our forgiveness? It makes no sense. If you have heard this gospel and and believed and repented of your sins, you too have been declared righteous, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ, not even death. The Bible teaches that after death, believers will be with Christ in a place that Jesus describes as paradise. And non-believers will be in a prison of flames and anguish. That's what the Bible teaches. But the Bible also teaches that we are not destined to be disembodied forever. In that final resurrection, we will be given heavenly bodies, bodies that will not age, that will not fail, that will not decay. And we will dwell with our God in the new heavens and the new earth. Today we discussed three ways which people misunderstand life after death. First, we discussed soul sleep. and we saw how the scriptures testify to an intermediate state where believers will dwell with Christ in heaven, and unbelievers, unfortunately, will be in hell. We do not simply sleep after death. Second, we discussed uh, the misunderstanding that somehow our final resting place is as a spirit in either heaven or hell. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that when we get to heaven, that place is going to be wonderful. And that we'll be rejoicing in the presence of our Savior in heaven. Even as a spirit, I think we're going to be awestruck. I think our mouths are going to be filled with praise. I don't think there's going to be any discontentment at all. But our destiny is to be resurrected and to be given a heavenly body that will not perish and to dwell with God in the new heaven and the new earth. Finally, we discussed this misunderstanding that we might need to go to a place like purgatory in order to be made pure enough to enter the gates of heaven. And we were reminded that those who believe in Jesus as Lord have been declared righteous based on the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. And listen, we forget this. We do. We forget the gospel and we worry about our sin and we hate ourselves and we try to trust in other things for salvation other than, other than the work of Jesus. And Christ knew that you would do this. I promise He knew that you would do this. And this is part of the reason that He left for us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We have the table set before us. And as we come to the table, I'm here to remind you that it's a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace, that it's a visible reminder of why you don't need to go to purgatory and why there is eternal place that's already set up for you, not based on your righteousness, but based on the work of Christ. We come to the table, and we remember this, Christ's body broken and His blood shed for us. It points us to the work of Christ on the cross. Blood shed, body broken, sins ransomed and paid for for those who would be by faith, sons and daughters of God. We're going to come to the table in just a second. And as we do, I want to kind of explain a few things about how we're going to do this today. Uh, we've been working through how to do this in a time of COVID and to do it in a way that's as safe as we possibly could. I thought putting my hands over bread and breaking it and giving it to the elders to give it all to you uh, might be uh, less than sanitary for our days. And so we have a very sanitary way. <laughs> to do communion. And it's kind of funny because communion in and of itself is just not really a sanitary idea. But we've got these cups, and uh, they're twofold. There's a couple of tabs here. If you open up the first tab, you're going to expose a little wafer. That wafer is your bread. You're going to pull up the second tab, and that will expose your uh, juice in the cup here. Uh, The elders will come through in a second. They're going to take these trays, and they're going to pass those out. Now, after all of them are passed out, the elders will return to the front. And what I will do is I will guide us through taking these. We'll say, uh, the body of Christ broken for you, and we'll all take it together. And then we'll say, the blood of Christ shed for us, and we'll all take it together. So right now, just get one when they're distributed, and then hold on to it. Maybe open the, the, the bread up and get ready to take it, and we'll take it all together here in a second. Now, I want to come down to the table, and I want to invite Reverend Blaha to join me at the table. I want to tell you that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is also often referred to as the Word of God seen. We pair it with the Word of God proclaimed. But it's the Word of God seen because there's something about seeing the bread broken and there's something about seeing the juice that reminds us of the the body of Christ broken and His bloodshed. So here now... These words, on the night in which Christ was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
1: And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the remission of sins. All of you are to partake of it. For as often as we eat the bread and we drink of the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes.
3: Amen. We're going to invite the elders to come forward to sanitize their hands, make their way up to the station here, and then we will distribute the elements. John. done. If you do not have communion, raise your hand and we will make sure that it's brought to you. Our only hope in life and death is Christ's work on the cross. Take and eat His body broken for you. In the same manner, He took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of Him. Reverend blah. would you lead us in prayer?
1: Indeed, our Heavenly Father, to live as Christ, because of that is to die as gain. And let that indeed be what we come away from this day, that there is nothing to be compared to living for our great Jesus Christ. And then in that we have confidence that all eternity is in his hands and we are safe and that we are with him. Bless this going forth in Jesus' name.
2: Like
3: What do you believe about life after death? That's what we talked about today. I think uh, what we heard is that at the end of time, there will be a great resurrection and that we will get a new heavenly physical body and that we will live for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth with our God. And what happens in between? That's the question. What we believe Scripture teaches is that immediately upon death, those who believe in Jesus and are saved by grace through faith will go to heaven, they will be in what Christ calls paradise on the day of their death, and they will be with their God. They'll be with Christ. And those that do not know Christ as Lord will be in a place that Scripture defines as a prison and there's anguish and there's fire until the day of the resurrection when all people will be resurrected, either to a resurrection of judgment or a resurrection into eternal life. What do you believe? Who do you believe in? By what are you saved? Today, in taking the Lord's Supper, we were reminded that it is by the, the, the breaking of Christ's body and His blood shed for us, that by the gift of God, that we can have faith in Jesus Christ, that we have salvation. Go now, and as you do, have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and sure and certain hope of the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Let's sing one more time.
2: meet with you and worship our Lord today, and it was fantastic to hear you sing. Until next week, God bless.